HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We've been making cheese in Wisconsin since before we were even a state, which may be one reason why we win so many awards for it. It's what happens when a whole state dreams in cheese. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Hey there, and welcome to the Feed Feed podcast. I'm Alexa Santos. The Feed Feed is the world's largest crowdsourced food publication and social media community, serving as your daily source for what to cook, bake, eat, and drink. Here on the podcast, we are speaking with members of the hashtag Feed Feed community to hear their stories, learn about their culinary inspirations, and get some of their best cooking tips. Today, I'm so excited to be joined by Jeremy Sewell, who is the chef and owner of Row 34, which now has Four locations. Row 34 is a high energy, beer centric neighborhood oyster bar. And Chef Jeremy's family has a deep New England lineage. He also has three cookbooks out about recipes from this region. So you are pretty much the expert on what all things New England and seafood and oysters. Is that a good way to put it, Jeremy? Well, I, I don't like to label myself as an expert in, at anything, but uh, <laughs> it's where I spend a lot of my time thinking about is, is all those things. Yes. Oh my goodness. So let's go back to the very beginning. Um, as I said, you have a deep New England lineage. What is that about? Where, yeah, where did this all begin? <clears throat> well, I, I don't know how far back you want to go. My my ancestors came from Coventry, England in the 1600s. And my most famous ancestor was Samuel Sewell, who was a judge at, on the Salem witch trials. And he was an interesting guy who loved food. He had diaries and he would write about where he traveled and what he ate. So maybe it started all the way back there, but my goodness, my, my current family are all from, uh, Maine. Both my parents are from Southern Maine and uh, that's where a lot of relatives still live. And my grandfather was one of the original lobstermen out of York Harbor starting in the 1940s. Um, when lobstering wasn't certainly the, the industry that it is now. So it, it goes all the way back there, and, and my family has either made a living catching or cooking lobster uh, for a long time. My goodness. So at what age were you kind of starting to get involved, or kind of when when, when, when was your interest peaked in that realm? Well, it, you know, as a young kid in the summer, you know, you go up with your 
every summer was spent in Maine. So my dad worked for a company. We moved around a little bit as kids. Uh, but every holiday and every, you know, summer was everyone got in the station wagon and we went to Maine and that's where, you know, we got, you know, you'd spend, all right, you stay with this uncle, you stay with that grandparent, you know, whereas five of us. So the kids all got split up. And just as a young kid, being in Maine and going out in boats and lobster traps coming up and pulling lobsters out, but they were also filled with, you know, hermit crabs and snails and flounder. And it was just this like science project coming out of the ocean uh, when we were kids that was that we could eat, which was the fun part to me was yeah. we got to, you know, keep a flounder and cook it and lobster. So I just fell in love with that process and was so excited about it from a young age. And I, that curiosity about food and where it came from and, how it was caught and all those things has stayed with me to this day. So that's kind of where I, I fell in love with it way back then. Yeah. So then what kind of happened from there? What took you from, I guess, that point of being involved with it so young to now having, you know, going on four restaurants, all these cookbooks, like, <laughs> well, yeah, let's bridge yeah. that gap here. <laughs> yeah, there's, a, there's a little fill in there, I guess. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I worked uh, with my cousins at a young age, teenager on these boats and thought it was fun. And at the end of the summer, you have some money in your pocket and you are strong and tan, you work outside and it's like, wow, this is a really cool way to, to make a living. I'm going to move to Maine and, and be a lobsterman. And I, I told my dad that and he was horrified. I mean, just horrified. Really? He, he, while well, he watched his father be a lobsterman, my grandfather, his whole life, and and how he struggled. I mean, it was a it's a really hard way, and still is a really hard way to make a dollar. And so he sent me up over winter break when I was in high school to work for my cousin for the week. And going out in February in sub zero days, I was cured instantly of wanting to be a to be a lobsterman. I thought it's much more fun to cook them and eat them than it is to catch them in February. And um, <clears throat> so from there, I just got interested in cooking and worked at you know little local places and. Um, then decided from there, I, I want to go to culinary school, uh, went to the CIA in New York and, um, moved back to Maine as soon as I got a culinary school and was fortunate enough to work for, uh, a, a great chef and, a uh, who's still a friend to this day over 30 years and, you know, and just loved it and just started down the path of my career, got to go to Europe and work in Europe. Got to, it was in California for a long time, but, uh, and then moved back and, opened my first restaurant, you know, 15, 16 years ago in the Boston area. My wife's from this area. Oh, so we cool. moved back and my family was from Southern Maine. And so we were in California and starting our family and we decided to try to get closer to home. But that process, you know, everywhere I went, that the process of food and where it came from and the people involved in that side of it, certainly on the ocean side of it or the water side of it was always genuinely intriguing to me. And just, so I think that kind of led me into the world of seafood, um, you know, organically over time. It was just something I was always interested in. My goodness. So, well, congratulations on all of that. I mean, clearly it's worked out. So hopefully your dad has kind of changed his tune on your, <laughs> your choices. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, okay, he, good. He, he was very happy when uh, I went to culinary school rather than to, you know, go pick out, you know, fishing boots. It was, it was, it was a happy day for him. Okay, good, good. Glad to hear it. So <laughs> it is all working out. And I guess, how does it feel for you now that it's kind of you're at this point where it's such a kind of bustling situation and, you know, growing and, you know, just it's, I would assume you're very passionate about it. And I guess, what does this kind of feel like to you to have this all happen this way? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's remarkable. And I, I, I love how I kind of get to exist in, in the in the restaurant world. I, you know, 
Um, I, it, first of all, in my wildest dreams as a young man starting out doing this, I never thought that I'd get to write a cookbook or get to have multiple restaurants or any of those things. I, I love it just as much today as I did then. And, and certainly it's an industry that, and of course, recently has faced, and it has always faced a lot of challenges, but I still love it. Still gets me up every day. Still gets me excited to do it. And the seafood side of it is, is generally intriguing. I still go out on boats and, and see how fish is caught and um, love to go fishing and introduce that world to my kids. But, you know, the restaurants are amazing. Uh, working with these people that I've worked with uh, for some of them close to 20 years has is, is just been unbelievable. But I love also still going to fishermen and buying stuff directly from guys who catch fish or grow produce or, you know, farm raised oysters or clams. Like, the process of food and how I get to bring that back to the restaurants and kind of tell their story and talk about them from the, to the staff or to the guest if they're interested and, um, you know, share that process with everyone around me is, is I think probably the most exciting part for me. Yeah, absolutely. And the, and the book part was, is really cool too. I think it's, you know, there's ways you do things, but when you have to sit down and explain it to somebody on a piece of paper, it, yeah. it really makes you think about, you know, what you're doing. No kidding. And I know that, you know, the process of creating a cookbook and having it go to publisher and all that is not an easy thing. So I respect and admire the work that goes to that. And is that kind of like a cool way for you to have, you know, these for people who don't live in your area that can access your, you know, recipes and, you know, part of your home and part of what makes you tick kind of, is it nice for you to have that broader access? Yeah, it it is. I mean, it's it's really remarkable when you you know when people are like, oh, I have I have this favorite recipe. I always make it at Christmas out of your book, and and you know the share that their interpretation or why they drawn to that dish. I <laughs> a, fr- a friend of mine is a chef in Georgia. You know, there's a rice recipe in my book. It's just a simple like you know turmeric rice and spice rice recipe. He says it's his kid's favorite thing. He's like, I, I think about you every week because I have to make that stupid rice for my kids. And, uh, you know, so, you know, getting to share those moments and the thing that I love with people in their own homes in a different way is, is pretty remarkable. And, and, and having an opportunity to do that is still like, I, I can't believe somebody wanted me to write a book and I can't believe somebody wanted to publish it. So yeah, uh, I have everyone fooled so far, but it's, it's amazing. You're doing a good job. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. We're all, we're all biting for now. So keep it going. (laughs) And would you say a lot of what you do, you know, in the restaurants and with the books and just, you know, everything is kind of education about, you know, seafood from these areas. Cause for those of us, like I'm in South Florida and, you know, there's obviously not everybody's in your area knows as much as you know, or even a little bit of what you know about, you know, like you were talking about harvesting lobsters and oysters like most of us have no experience or knowledge on the matter so is that kind of a lot of what you do too is the education factor yeah so there's there's two sides that there's the the staff education and training which is pretty involved we really spend a lot of time with the staff talking about food talking about where it comes from and wine and beer and you know cocktails like all those things but you know most of the time i spent talking about food and you know who catches it or how it's grown or you know, this oyster t- looks like this or tastes like this for this reason. There's a ton of energy that goes into that. And it's just, it's, you know, I, I know I'm boring the heck out of people. I just, they're kind enough to nod as I go and talk, you know, start talking about, 
you know, striped bass and the migratory patterns of them. And now they're in season in New England and what they're eating. So <laughs> it's, you know, I, I, I completely nerd out about it and it's, and it's really fun. And, you know, for, and then that's one side. The other side is how we relay that information to the guests if they want it. And, you know, there are, you know, people that come in are so excited about oysters and so excited to see if we have different species on the menu or different locations or they taste the different geography of oysters or, you know, stuff from the Cape, the inner Cape, the outer Cape, from Maine, from, um, you know, the Pacific Northwest. Like people love that. Uh, and we love to talk about with them if they want to talk about it. And, you know, so, but most of the time I always think that, look, people just show up and they're hungry. They don't really want to have a deep conversation about food. They want to sit down and eat. And, uh, but if they want to talk about it with the staff's ready, I'm ready. Um, you know, to talk about it. And we, we love to kind of show off a little bit when we have those chances of, we, you know, we really do a lot of, a lot of care and thought into what we're doing. And, um, you know, if you want to hear about it, we're, we're going to tell you. <laughs> Good. No, I mean, I am a very, you know, I have no expertise. In fact, I just learned how to shuck my first oyster last week. And, Excellent. um, so I have no expertise on the matter, but I am, you know, as a foodie and someone who works in food, very, very fascinated about those things. So trust me, if I was at your restaurants, I would have no problem with you talking my ear off and in fact, have no issue with it now, of course, well, of you are. talking my ear off about all these things. And I think it is for those who have a, even just a slight appreciation for, you know, seafood and how that all works. It's, it is very fascinating and exciting to know about more, more about it. Um, the only real knowledge I have of those practices is, you know, for a while I was a news reporter and I was working over in, um, on the West coast of Florida where they, uh, catch and harvest the stone crabs. So as a TV reporter, I had to learn a lot about how that worked and how, you know, that had to be a very sustainable practice and how it's like very regulated by the season. And, you know, the local economy is so dependent on it. And it's really until you kind of immerse yourself in one way or another, learning about the, Way, like the trickle impacts of say, you know, a hurricane hit this year. So the stone crab harvest is not great. And so, you know, all these restaurants, all these jobs, all these things that are dependent on that, the crabbing boats, it's, you don't know what you don't know. And until you start thinking about it and learning about it, it's, you know, you can go on. I'm sure you could have 15 podcast episodes about just that and the fishing practices that you grew up with and that yeah. you continue to work in in your career. So I personally think it's very fascinating. So no worries on, on my end, well, so I, to speak. <laughs> the, the most remarkable thing I think that we always forget is seafood, not all of it, but a lot of the seafood we eat is wild. And it's one of the only wild things any of us eat. And, you know, people go out into the ocean and harvest these lobsters and crabs and tuna and bass and bring it to a dock and, you know, sell it to a market and it ends up on our dinner table. And these are wild animals out in the world. I mean, it's, it's kind of amazing that, that we do this. And, you know, it gets lost on people a little bit. The, the really one un- unfortunate in my, my lifelong battle with seafood is going to be people like to share bad news or things they hear about seafood that aren't great, whereas there's so many wonderful things always happening in the seafood world that we should be excited about. Um, but it's, you know, it's the same idea of like, well, if you have a bad meal, you tell 10, you tell 10 people, if you have a great meal, you tell three, it's, yeah. it's, you know, and it's the same thing with seafood. Like people want to hear about overfishing or pollution or mercury or mm-hmm. all of these things. But, you know, there's, there's amazing things happening in, 
And stone crab is a perfect example of that's a great story about seafood. And yeah. How those fishermen have worked so hard to preserve a fishery for generations to come and how they've managed that. So those, that's what I like oh, to talk about. Not, for not sure. the bad news. And it's keeping an entire region of the state of Florida afloat economically, essentially. I mean, for lack of a better way to put it, I mean, living and working there for as long as I did, I learned that pretty quick that like a big, big part of like that Western Southwest region of Florida is like pretty much held up by the stone crab industry. Yeah, and it's, 100%. you don't think about it that way, that way. And I, I know it's that way up in new England and a lot of the communities up there, it's like completely contingent on that. So what are some of the like major misconceptions or things that you, you know, try to tell people who may have, you know, heard one too many negative things? Um, what are, what are kind of like the top uh, myths or situations that you kind of need to debunk in your day to day? You know, I think that, you know, when you s- zoom out 10,000 feet and look at it, the fishing industry in the United States, you know, the, the, the oceans and the fisheries in the United States are one of the most not one of, they are the most regulated fisheries in the world by mm-hmm. far. So whether you're fishing in Florida, California, in Massachusetts, Maine, you know, the, the federal and local governments, there are a lot of hurdles and regulations and, every, and it changes all the time uh, that, that fishermen need to follow and, and guidelines and, and, you know, catch limits and, you know, the size nets that they can use, the boats, where they can fish, how long they can fish, you know, how many they can catch. And, and there is so many hurdles for these guys that, you know, by the time fish gets to the seafood counter and it's in front of you, I, I always tell people feel really good about buying fish because if it's there, it's there legally. There's nothing, you know, if you go to wherever you shop for seafood, a local seafood counter or a Whole Foods or whatever your grocery store is, there's nothing illegal that you're looking at. Some practices are mm-hmm. deemed more sustainable than others, but I think the word sustainable when it comes to seafood is a really gray area. It's really challenging to, yeah. you know, round peg, round hole every species. It's, it's almost impossible. So the first thing I say is like, be excited about seafood, be excited about eating what's in front of you because it was caught or harvested or grown under immense challenges that these people have. So it's, it's a success just to get it in front of, in front of a customer or a guest. Um, so that's really from what we start, but from there it's, you know, you know, these people making a living on the water or, uh, you know, growing fish, it's, it's really hard. It's, it's a hard way to make a living. It's a hard way to uh, support your family and it's gotten harder every year. So I, I think, you know, rather than, uh, for what I tell people, if you live on a, in a coastal state or, you know, buy local, buy what they're catching. Um, support those local guys and, and, and spend some time getting to know what they're doing and what they're catching and be excited about that. You know, um, yeah. there's whole restaurants that are themed after lobsters and stone crabs and all those right. things. And there's a reason, you know, there's a reason they're delicious, but we want them there forever. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably my favorite thing to go out and enjoy is fresh oysters, fresh stone crabs, or when they're not in season, you know, other types of crabs. And it's, it's such a, it's such a treat. And obviously, you know, so many people make, you know, their entire livelihoods off of it. And, you know, it's, it is kind of an ongoing situation around education and, you know, how it works here. And I think as, you know, the collective consciousness of like where we get our food from and like the collective, 
understanding of what happens with, you know, sourcing local and that, that type of stuff. I think it is kind of just like an interesting conversation to have and things that people should learn more about. So I totally respect the work that you're doing on the education front. And, uh, you know, I assume it's kind of something you're dealing with every single day and it's an ever changing situation too. So you're, you're fighting the good fight, my friend. (laughs) Trying. And you said it. I think what people don't realize is you can't look at stone crab or lobster. You know, lobsters are facing some challenges on the sustainability front or the marketing of sustainability because of right whales. They're saying, well, you know, right whales are getting tangled in lobster gear and, and their population is dangerously low. Well, that's they don't have a ton of information to support that, and that that is the number one cause of right whale death. It, it isn't. But uh, so they're saying lobster isn't sustainable for that reason, but you're beyond sustaining the lobster fishery. You said it, it's stone crab. You're sustaining the, the guy who sells them rope, the, the town mm-hmm. that, com- you know, is dependent upon that economy, the sc- kids that go to school in that town, the yep. firemen, the retailers, all these little shopkeepers on the, the, you know, the tourism market in Maine is the number one driving factor of, of the economy, uh, or one of them. And, so if you start saying that things aren't sustainable for a reason that doesn't really relate to how well that industry is doing or how well it's managed, it just it makes it muddy for people to understand and make those choices. And that's just another challenge that seafood sometimes has that it shouldn't, but it does. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. There's a reason when you think of Wisconsin, you think cheese. Cheese is a huge part of Wisconsin's history and future. In Wisconsin, the state of cheese, the tradition of cheesemaking excellence began 180 years ago, before Wisconsin was recognized as a state. Immigrants traveled to settle in this lush, green hills of Wisconsin, bringing their cheesemaking traditions with them. These storied skills combined with the freshest milk available created a cheesemaking culture that is uniquely Wisconsin. Wisconsin's 1,200 cheesemakers, many of whom are third and fourth generation, continue to pass on old world traditions while adopting modern innovations in cheesemaking craftsmanship. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. With your restaurants, do you have like, for example, like, does each restaurant kind of have a different menu based on what's around them locally? And do you have, you know, your own relationships with boats or your own boats that go out? Or how does that kind of work on the sourcing? Because I assume like the local fresh aspect has got to be a huge part of what you do. So how does that work for you and your different locations? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. It's it's uh it's really hard, but it's so much fun and, and so rewarding when we do it right. So every, um, you know, all the restaurants are in New England, all within about an hour of each other. So that gives us a little bit of a, a, an advantage as far as accessibility. Mm-hmm. My cousin and my nephew uh, catch probably 80, 85% of every lobster we serve in the restaurants. Really? So we go up, yep. They're in York, Maine. And uh, fish out of York, Maine have forever. And... Uh, I have my own refrigerated truck and driver and we go up to the dock two or three times a week. We pick up lobsters right from the boat and we drive those to the restaurants and that it's, you know, it's amazing. And there's this, you know, kind of romantic image of going to the boat and 
picking up lobster and bringing it to the restaurant and people eating. But it's a ton of work. Lobsters are heavy. And, um, <laughs> you know, so when you're throwing a thousand pounds a time on the on the truck and moving those around, it's, it's a lot of work. So that's, you know, that's how we source lobsters and, and have for over 10 years. It's, it's just an amazing process that we've worked really hard to do right and support the, you know, those, those guys who are catching local, you know, my family that's catching local fish in, in a great fishery. And then from there, we have, you know, lots of, a couple of vendors that we use that buy boat direct from small day boat vessels throughout New England. Um, and they, every morning, they send us a list of what's available that day, whether it's cod, hay, caddock, scallops, smelts, fluke, flounder, halibut, you know, we get a list of what's available. And, and from there, we, the chefs, the individual chefs at each restaurant and myself, we kind of look at those lists. We, we talk about it and we decide, you know, what we're going to buy for the next day or two. And our truck goes to the fish pier in Boston. Boston has a hundred year old fish pier that we still go to almost, you know, every day, five days a week anyway. And, and then pick up our seafood. And then we have oyster farmers that bring stuff directly that they grow, uh, bring directly to us that they grow oysters and clams and, um, and just, they're excited about having their stuff on our list and they'll bring their friends in and be like, Oh, these guys are serving my oysters or these guys are serving my fish. And in the summer, I try to go out and catch as much fish as I can and bring it back to the restaurants. It's, uh, I say I'm working, but it doesn't really seem like work, but, um, you know, it's fun. And part of it too, is like every manager, whether you work in the kitchen or you work in the dining room in our restaurants, I take them fishing in the summer because, and they have to, I want them to see and understand how hard it is to, to go out and catch wild fish and, and, and bring those back to the restaurant. And we, you know, we do it on a nice sunny day and catch a couple of fish and bring a few beers with us and bring a sandwich. And it's a lovely day. But if you're doing that for a living and it's raining or cold or the water, the ocean's rough. Windy. Yeah. Choppy. Yeah. Whatever, whatever mother nature's challenging and, and, and those guys still have to make a living doing it. So, Having, you know, trying to connect those dots back for our staff to really understand the process um, and where this stuff comes from is very important to us. And it's very important for them to, you know, to buy into that process by understanding it. Yeah. Well, geez. Yeah. I mean, that's a very interesting answer. And, you know, I think it's it's important that you do that. And I think I don't know, I just think it's all very cool. It's very fascinating stuff that you do over there. And you know, obviously, I am very interested in it. So I appreciate you kind of explaining all of this. It's it's very cool to talk about. So do you have like a favorite seafood or favorite? Like, is it kind of like picking a favorite child? Or is there kind of <laughs> one of these? I mean, it seems like you probably have an affinity for oysters, if I had to guess, but you tell me. Well, I, I Yes, I do have a favorite child, but I'm not going to tell him which one it is. But um, uh, <laughs> I, you know, it's one of those things. I think it's it's there's a couple elements that go into what I love to eat. It's it's the season of it, the geography of it. You know, if you're at a picnic table on the coast of Maine, eating a lobster roll, looking out at the water, like that is probably the best lobster roll you're going to eat. There's just a sense of yes of place with it, and a sense of identity, and just this you know, experience the same with, you know, the, one of the first oysters I ever ate, it was, I was a cooking in California and I went to the, uh, it wasn't the first oyster I ever ate, but it was one of the first 10 oysters I ever ate. I was in hog Island oyster farm in Tamales Bay in California. And I went out in the water with the farmer and, and they were very small at that point. And he reached into the water and pulled an oyster out and shucked it and handed it to me. And I ate this oyster. And, and, and to this day, that's probably, 
the best oyster I've ever eaten because mm-hmm. of that experience of where I was in that moment. And that's what I think that's really remarkable about food. So I don't, I don't have, you know, listen, <laughs> eating caviar off of my hand or, you know, oysters in the water or, you know, lobster or, you know, uh, fried crab cakes. I love it all. It just kind of depends where you are and what's, what's near you. So it's all good. Try it all. <laughs> so the best oyster you had was over from the West coast, but are you more like, are you, if you had to ask, if you had to answer, are you more pro East coast, East coast oyster guy, or is it hard to say even I, that much? Well, I have to be a little maybe political and, and, yeah. uh, you know, in this, I, you know, I have an East, I've been back in the East coast for so long and I have a palate that's developed eating East coast oysters. So I love the, the brininess of the East coast oyster. And I, I, I do think, there's some of the best oysters in the world are grown on the East coast, but I also think the West coast has amazing oysters. You know, when I go, you know, every year I go to Washington state and I go up to, you know, uh, a farm and in the Puget Sound called Hama Hama. And when you're at the farm eating those oysters, they're amazing. And, and, you know, just, you know, in the moment having those, and it's such a different flavor profile. It's, you know, it's just, it's its own unique thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I end up, you know, throughout the year I end up eating and enjoying probably more East coast than West coast. They're yeah. both great. I love them all, but, um, you know, hard, hard to, uh, if I had to pick one, I would say East coast. Yes. I, me too. I mean, it's, it's hard to, you know, diss one or the other, but in my experience, just in having them from restaurants, not from, you know, having these real, like truly, you know, grassroots experience like you've had, but, you know, even just at restaurants, I typically gravitate towards East coast. Like when they give you the option at a restaurant, they're like, Oh, do you want, you know, all East or all West or a combo? I typically like the East better, but I I think it's fun to kind of get to know the differences between them and to kind of have that understanding of why they're different and why they taste and feel different. I don't know. It's, it's yeah. very cool. And there's a lot to learn about it. And you clearly have an expertise on the matter, but most people, you know, most people are probably afraid to eat oysters. And then <laughs> the ones that, yeah. the ones that do eat them, you know, they're kind of like, I don't know what I just ate, but I think it was good. You know, there's such a spectrum there and it's kind of one of those acquired tastes. I mean, same as someone who really knows wine versus someone who has no idea what they're yeah. drinking. It's just, there's such a spectrum there in just understanding of really all seafood, but especially oysters in my experience. Like there's so much to know. And when you hear someone that's super knowledgeable about them, explain the differences and like the notes, you know, like this one has a melon note and you're like, I guess so. I yeah. sure. I think so. So. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it's kind of fun, you know, the more and more you learn about it. And I guess, you know, has it been cool for you to see that interest peaked among, you know, your customers and your staff and people who have started to learn more about these things? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, when I, you know, when I started cooking, there was very few restaurants that had oysters on the menu and certainly not on the menu all the time. And then, you know, I, I got back to the East Coast and oysters have started to gain popularity. And now, you know, the oyster culture is unbelievable. Like if you go mm-hmm. into the fanciest restaurant in New York or San Francisco or wherever, there's almost always an oyster. Uh, yes. It might be beautifully garnished or a very specific size or style. It might be raw, it might be cooked, you know, um, you know, some of the most famous dishes in, in, in the country are, are some of them are based in oysters. But if you go into a pub that's, you know, you can get a great chilled dozen oysters. I mean, Oysters have become the Caesar salad of, of the seafood world. They're on every menu everywhere, you know? So 
it, the popularity is is just gone crazy, and the accessibility to oysters is is they're everywhere, and and that's amazing because that's oysters are a great story, you know, from the the farming and the, you know they're environmentally really you know benefit the environment and they're really good for you and it's a great way to make a living on the water if that's what you want to do so it's oysters are a great story and they're everywhere so thank god yeah look at that and yeah i do think so in your experience when did they start kind of growing in popularity and when would when did they become more ubiquitous yeah i you know probably 15 years ago you know it really started in my you know just where i noticed it where you would say wow geez you know oysters are everywhere and 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 uh, I've always loved oysters in every restaurant I've owned or been the chef of. I've, I've had oysters on the menu in some way, um, you know, just because I'm drawn to kind of the water and the sea and talking to those guys about what they do is so interesting to me. I, I wanted I wanted to, you know, share that experience with, with the guests and talk about that. But, you know, I own four oyster bars and we sell thousands of oysters every day. So it's mm-hmm. it's it's a trend. I don't think it's a trend. I think it's just here. It's just part of how people eat and experience food is, is eating oysters. So hopefully it stays forever. Yeah, it sure is. And I kind of, you know, even just like there's a fish peddler store right by me that my family and I like just discovered recently. And that's why I learned how to shuck oysters is because, you know, we kind of realized like, Oh, Hey, we can buy them and, you know, open them ourselves at home. And my dad knew how to do it. And he kind of taught me. And I feel like it's, I just in my lifetime, I've seen it become, as a foodie, just more and more people that I go out to eat with wanting them. It used to be, you know, when I was younger and in college, you know, I would go out to dinner and I'd be the only one eating oysters and my friends would be like, Oh, that's weird. And now it's like a given, you know, that everybody's, you know, we're ordering a couple dozen for the table. So I've mm-hmm. personally seen it get more and more popular too, without being as close to it as you are. So yeah. I mean, it's exciting. It's, it's, it's cool. It's one of my favorite things for sure. And it's communal. I mean, who orders a whole plate of oysters and doesn't share it with somebody? I mean, I mean, I would. I'm not above that. <laughs> I, nor should you be. You should eat them all. But you know, sitting around and and you know, you know, a big beautiful platter of gorgeous oysters and cold beer or a glass of wine, like that's just that's such a great experience. And and that's what we want people to come into Row 34 and have is like, yeah, it's communal. It's these are meant yeah. to be shared and, and talked about and enjoyed. That's that's a big part of what oysters are. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm definitely in the mood for oysters now that we're talking about it. My family and I actually decided for Super Bowl we're going to do get the local oysters from the place by us and have them at home. So I'm like, amazing. Gear, I'm gearing up, especially after this conversation. I'm like, oh, <laughs> is it, how many times a week is too many times a week to eat oysters? Because I could do it several, like no well, problem. So, and I'm sure you ask yourself that a lot. <laughs> well, I, you know, the best thing I ever did was if anyone comes over to my house to eat, you know, we have guests that they, they assume we're having oysters then. And, and so that's the expectation. The best thing I ever did was teach my boys how to uh, shuck oysters. So now I don't have to shuck oysters at, at the house anymore. My, my kids do it. Good. Um, yeah. Put them to work, which is great. But you know, it's just, it's, it's a fun food. It's, it's, it's really um, become part of, of what, how people eat and what they eat at home. So I hope, it, I hope you get better and better at it. Keep eating oysters. <laughs> don't twist my arm. It's no problem. <laughs> um, well, was there anything else important to add about your, you know, seafood journey or the restaurants or the cookbooks or just seafood in general that I haven't asked you yet? Um, no, I mean, I, I, I think like if I, if I think about seafood, I just think I, I, I really pe- encourage people to 
um, try to gain a little knowledge and try different things. I think we live in a world where, you know, the number one and two imported seafoods into this country are, uh, and the number one and two eaten seafoods in this country are shrimp and salmon. And, you know, Mm -hmm. and there's nothing wrong with shrimp and salmon, but there's so many other amazing uh, seafoods out there. I, I really encourage people to try different things, expand their repertoire of what they eat and what they cook. And, you know, the, the internet has made getting different ingredients and different seafoods from around the country much easier, much more accessible. Um, and, you know, celebrate all these wonderful things. And, you know, don't be afraid to cook lobster at home. Don't be afraid to try monkfish. Don't be afraid to, you know, eat West Coast oysters. Those are good too. So, uh, yeah. you know, I just, just the message of eat a lot of seafood. It's good for you. <laughs> well, amen to that. You know, no problem on my end. You got it. Can do. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Jeremy, for being here and t- explaining so much and telling me all about your journey and getting me really in the mood for seafood, which is absolutely a decent problem to have. So I appreciate you. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm jealous that you're doing oysters on Super Bowl. Right. Uh, I might have to change my menu a little bit. You, here, ha- you should. Yeah. If I didn't make wings, my my friends would revolt. So we do a lot of wings. Add it to the time. mix. The yeah. more the merrier. There you go. I love it. You of all people. It. So, okay. Awesome. Love that. Well, thank you so much, Jeremy. It's been a blast. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about the food and drink discovery platform that is The Feed Feed, head to thefeedfeed.com. If you have a food story to tell or want us to interview a blogger, cookbook, author, chef, or restaurateur, we would love your suggestions. Just send us a DM on Instagram. See you next time. The Feed Feed podcast is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.